How many of you have memories from your childhood of playing hide-and-seek? That's a game that we've all played, and it's a simple game, but I wonder if you've ever heard of hide-and-seek's distant cousin, Hide the Thimble. Maybe some of you more seasoned people, the younger people maybe not so much, but the more seasoned people remember hide the thimble because a sewing thimble is about the size of the tip of your index finger. And here's how the game works. One person hides the thimble and everyone else looks for it. Pretty simple. But here's the catch. The person who hides it as, they, as the finders start to look for it, if they're getting further away from it, the, the hider says, you're getting colder, colder. And if they start to get a little bit closer, you say, you're getting warmer, warmer. And as they're really close, you then say, you're getting hotter, hotter, until the thimble is eventually found. Now, A.W. Tozer made a profound observation. He said this, he said, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Because here's the challenge. In the beginning, God created us in his image. But ever since, we have been creating God in our image. So we project our inclinations, our imperfections, our idiosyncrasies, all of that onto God. And what we end up with is a God, a lowercase g God, who looks and acts and talks and thinks an awful lot like us. So what comes to mind when you think about God? What is God's posture towards you? What expression is on his face when he's thinking of you? What's his tone of voice when he's speaking of you? Because if God has a frown on his face, then I'm telling you, you're getting colder and colder. If God has smile lines around his eyes as he's thinking about you, if he's reaching out to you with arms wide open, then you're getting warmer and warmer. And if God's posture toward, towards you is one of blessing, and if you can hear the pride in his voice as he says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased, well, now you're getting hotter and hotter. We've been in this series started last week called Double Blessing based upon a book written by Mark Batterson. And today's sermon is called An Attitude of Gratitude. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Because remember, we saw last week at the very beginning of creation, before original sin came into the picture, there was original blessing. And the sequence is significant. Because blessing is God's most ancient instinct. But we saw that God won't bless greed, pride, and laziness. 
So we have to position ourselves in order to receive his blessing. Now God's posture towards us, his default setting, his first and foremost reflex is to bless us. It's who God is. It's what he does. God wants to bless you beyond your ability to even ask or imagine. And he has blessings for you in categories that you can't even conceive of. I want to start today in the book of 1 Thessalonians. and I, I, I like 1 Thessalonians because Paul planted a church in Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. And he's writing this letter a few years after that church has been planted. And the church finds itself in some challenging circumstances. So Paul offers an exhortation to them in chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And these are some of the shortest verses in all of the Bible. But man, do they pack a punch. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Verse 17 says, Pray continually. And verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Three short verses that pack such a punch. Now, if we were to play a little word association game this morning, and I were to say, discerning the will of God, many of us, maybe most of us, would think about logistics. We'd think of the who, what, when, where, and how of discerning the will of God. It's making the right move at the right time. God is ordering our footsteps. He's preparing good works in advance. And he's setting up those divine appointments that we need to interact with. We need to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That said, the will of God is a lot less circumstantial and has a lot more to do with our attitude. See, in fact, You already know the will of God. The will of God is to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, many of us are way too worried about making mistakes or making or taking a wrong turn. We're afraid that just one mistake could bring down the whole house of cards. But let me relieve a little stress this morning. God wants you to get where God wants you to be more than you want to get where God wants you to go. God, and if we're honest, God's pretty good at getting us there if we just follow his lead. The will of God is less about logistics and more about cultivating the character of Jesus in each and every circumstance. And as I said last week, the circumstances you're asking God to change, 
Maybe the very circumstances that God is using to change you. In the book Decisive, Chip and Dan Heath talk about four mistakes that we often make when it comes to decision-making. One of them, they say, is the mistake of narrow framing. It's defining our choices too narrowly. It's thinking in either-or categories instead of both-and. It's thinking true and false when God is offering us multiple choice. And we do this when it comes to the will of God. They say that there's this myth that there's only one thing that God wants to do in your life. And we spend so much time trying to figure out what that one thing is, and we, and we become so fearful of making a mistake, of choosing the wrong career. Ironically, many of us miss the will of God because we're afraid of missing the will of God. We miss out because we don't want to miss out. They say that there's actually 18 things. That's a made-up number. But there are many things that God would be happy if you chose to do. To think that there's only one thing out there. It's like thinking that God is saying, well, there's only one thing. I know what it is. I sure hope you can figure it out. And that's not how God acts. Could it be that we're putting our constraints on to God. And all of this to say the will of God is less circumstantial and more about our attitudes than we will ever think. Now, what I want to do today is to unpack these verses and to talk about cultivating an attitude of gratitude. First is whatever you don't turn into praise turns in to pride. James 1.17 says this. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. See, this is the genesis of gratitude. It's all from God, and it's all for God. Now, I'm not sure we know enough to know whether something is a blessing or a curse up front. What we perceive to be blessings oftentimes actually backfire in ways that we didn't even think about. And what we perceive to be a curse may actually end up to be a blessing in disguise because it becomes a catalyst for us to grow. James continues and says, Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything way too many prayers revolve around personal comfort rather than character development. 
What I find interesting when you go back and look at the Talmud, the ancient Jewish commentary, they say that if you enjoy something without giving thanks, it's as if you have stolen it from God. Anything less than gratitude is larceny. They say that an observant Jew will pronounce 100 blessings a day. They offer a blessing before their meals, much like we do, but they continue and do it more so because they bless God during the meal for the double blessing of the different the tastes and the different smells of the meal. An observant Jew would bless God for the new day, for a, a new article of clothing, for a new experience. See, whenever they experience something pleasurable, whatever it was, they praise God. They wouldn't simply bless God for rainfall. They would give thanks for each and every rain drop that fell. Did you know that in a gallon of water, there are 90,921 drops of water? It's an awful lot of blessings in a gallon of water. There are 37 sextillion, I don't even know how many zeros that is, but 37 sextillion chemical reactions ha happening in the human body at any one moment. From digesting food to regenerating cells to purifying toxins to catalyzing enzymes to producing hormones to converting stored energy from fat to blood sugar. We owe God 37 sextillion thank you. Now let me ask a question. Why 100 blessings? The observant Jews would do 100 blessings a day. Why 100? They say that during the, t the days of King David, a devastating plague came onto the land and it claimed the lives of 100 Israelites every single day. And the Jewish rabbis prescribed this practice of reciting 100 blessings per day, hoping that it would somehow counteract the plague. And according to tradition, the plague stopped immediately. Now, I can't promise you that gratitude will cure whatever ails you. But they do say that it's an all-purpose antibiotic. So it doesn't hurt. See, that's where double blessing begins. Whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. Let me push the envelope a little bit further. Number two, praise God for partial miracles. You see, in the, in the gospel, there's this two-part miracle that I find fascinating and encouraging. Jesus lays his hand on a blind man, and the man experiences a miracle, partial sight. His sight's restored, but not completely. He says it's as if people are walking around, but they look like trees walking around. Today, we call that 2100 vision. See, this is where many of us doubt God instead of praising him 
for the partial miracle. This is where many of us give up because we didn't get the whole miracle. But there are moments. There are moments when we need to double down with prayer and fasting. And all too often, we withhold our praise for just a partial miracle. And then we wonder why the whole miracle never happens. Why not praise God every step of the way, even if it's two steps forward and one step back? See, July 2nd, 2016, Mark Batterson, who wrote the book Double Blessing, tells a story of a brave prayer. After 40 years of asthma, God healed his lungs. And from July 2nd, 2016 to today, he has never had to use his inhaler. But there's a backstory to that miracle. About a month before all of that happened, he was climbing a mountain with his family. Now, it wasn't the tallest mountain in the world, but it was a mountain nonetheless. And he managed to do it without using his inhaler. For Mark, this was a huge accomplishment. And in fact, he went another four days without using that inhaler. Privately, he wondered if the Lord had healed him. But then, on day five, he had to use the inhaler. Instead of focusing on the fact that he had to use the inhaler on day five, Mark decided to praise God for the four days he didn't have to use it. But he went even a step further because he shared the partial miracle. He shared it with his church. He shared it in a Bible study. He told them about how God had healed him for four days. It was a less than a week later that God finished the miracle. He finished what he started, and he completely healed Mark of asthma. He believes that publicly praising God for the partial miracle was just one small step, one giant leap towards the double blessing of healed lungs. We need to praise God for the partial miracles. Because the key word isn't partial, it's miracle. It is a miracle. Whether it's partial or not, it's still a miracle, and that's what we praise God for. Number three, your focus determines your reality. Now, if there are any Star Wars buffs in the room, yes, that is in fact what Qui-Gon said to Anakin Skywalker in the worst Star Wars movie ever, episode one. But Paul preached this long before this. Paul preached it thousands of years ago. In Philippians chapter four, Paul said, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. A study was done decades ago with college students, and they, the study consisted of just two questions. The first question was, how happy are you? 
Second question was, how many dates did you go on last month? And the researchers found that there's a weak correlation between the level of happiness and the number of dates they went on. But then they flipped the questions. They said, how many dates have you been on last month? And then question number two, how happy are you? All of a sudden, there's a strong correlation between the number of dates that they had and how happy they were. The sequence of the questions made those students focus on their dating status or lack thereof, and psychologists call this the focusing effect. Probably one of the best studies on this involves Olympic medalists. They found that bronze medalists were quantifiably happier than silver medalists, which, if you think about it, makes no sense because a silver medalist beat the bronze medalist, which means they should feel better about the outcome than those who came in third rather than second. But you... The key was the silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning it all. And they weren't satisfied with the silver. The bronze medalists, on the other hand, they were focusing on how fact they were coming to not getting anything at all. So they were just happy to be on the medal stand. The technical term for that was happening to these Olympic medalists is called a counterfactual. There are two different types of counterfactuals. There's an upward and a downward counterfactual. An upward counterfactual is focusing on how things could be better, like winning the gold instead of the bronze, and it produces feelings of frustration. A downward counterfactual focuses on how things could be worse, like not winning a medal at all, and it produces feelings of gratitude. Maybe another example is a fictitious letter written by a college student to her parents that illustrates this perfectly. This is what she writes. Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out that I was pregnant, and he got fired because of his drinking, so we're going to move to Alaska, where we might get married after the birth of the baby. Love your daughter. P.S. None of this truly happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class. I just want to keep it in perspective. (laughs) Upward or downward-facing counterfactual. Let's go back to Philippians. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, joy is not getting what you want. Joy is appreciating what you have. Philippians 4.11 says this. It says, I have learned how to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Imagine that. 
I've learned how to be content, whatever the circumstances, and Paul is in prison while he writes that. Then he continues and says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is not circumstantial. It's based upon your attitude. Your focus determines your reality. I want you to be here I want you to make sure you hear me on this you can be stressed and blessed at the same time as, as I said last week blessing is not zero gravity it's not not having blessings blessings of God will complicate your life but it will complicate your life in the ways that your life should be complicated. And at the end of the day, there are two ways to process the things that happen to you. And it's all based upon your attitude. Either your theology will conform to your reality, or your reality will conform to your theology. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. If you're looking for something to complain about, you will always find it. And if you're looking for something to be grateful for, you will also always find it. We see the world as we are. So what's the key to seeing things the way that God sees things? The simple answer is the cross. No matter how bad our circumstances get, you are worth the cross to Christ. Your sin is nailed to that cross. The curse of sin is broken. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Our reality check isn't our circumstances. Our reality check is the character of God. And God is good all of the time. Psalms 84 says, No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly in him so I want to end this today I've asked the praise team they're going to play some music quietly in the background for a little bit and I want you to take a few minutes I want you to close your eyes and I want you to count your blessings because you've got to identify what's right before you can deal with what's wrong and don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Because we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving. So you don't even get in the front door of heaven without an attitude 
of gratitude. So may we grow in grace, in the grace of gratitude. So just take a couple minutes. Close your eyes. If you're online, close your eyes and just count your blessings. Think about each one and praise God for each of them. Father, thank you for all of these blessings that we've been thinking about. Cultivate in us an attitude of gratitude. Help us to to praise you for the partial miracles, to praise you for everything in our life that comes from you. Help us to focus more than we've ever done before on those blessings that you bring into our life. Help it to be a constant reminder throughout our days as we see the little things and and the big things. Help us to notice each and every one of them and to realize that all those blessings come from you. Help us to focus on how things could be so much worse if you didn't come down and die on that cross for my sin. Jesus' name.